As we continue in our Advent series, um, today we're, we're dealing with this, um, this reality of what's at stake in the mission. So you remember, we talked last week that we are, in fact, on a rescue mission, right? Um, that uh, what we've done this year for Advent is we've combined um, our core value number three series with our Advent series, which is the coming of Jesus. And uh, you remember our core values, uh, we've got five of them, and each one of these gets its own series. And so this is core value number three. We've had the first two earlier in the year. We know that as a church, we are running to keep up with Jesus. It's what we're trying to do. Where Jesus goes, we are following right? That's our goal. And we've, we've dug into that. And then we know that as we are running to keep up with Jesus, we are pursuing him with ridiculous joy, not fake joy, not emotional joy, but real joy that transcends, right? Real joy that, that is there even in the midst of joylessness, real joy that fights and that's find its hope in Jesus. And, and we know that's true. And then now we continue with core value number three, and it's part of our Advent series, and that's that we are on a rescue mission. We'll deal with those other two sometime during the year next year. Those are great ones, and we're going to deal with. But, but right now, we're focused on the fact that we are on a rescue mission. And last week, we talked about that mission. And we talked about the need to engage in that mission. And today, as we start, I want to talk to you just a little bit about um, what's at stake What's at stake with the mission? You know, first things first, though, check this out. We, we read this last week, but, but we can say clearly that we should be on a rescue mission because that's just us following Jesus. I mean, we're not making this stuff up, guys. You're all good. Listen, mine rang first service, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, here, here's the deal. I, but I left mine in my office, so you didn't know. Um, for the Son of Man keep to seek, came to seek and save those who are lost. We are on a rescue mission because it's biblical. We are on a rescue mission because Jesus was on a rescue mission. We are on a rescue mission because Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. And we minister in his name. Like, listen to me, church, this stuff matters. And I want to be really clear about why it matters, what's at stake. And I say this a lot, and I'm afraid sometimes that I say it so much because I don't want anybody to forget that, that you're going to start to think, does he know how to say anything else? I do. I know all the words. Not all of I know a lot of the words. But listen to me, please. Hell is real. Hell is real. Jesus talks about it a lot. Hell is real. And people we know, people we love, people that die without the hope of Jesus Christ will, beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter how much they thought they believed in God, no matter how much good they tried to do in their lives, no matter how many enlightened experiences they had, no, 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 I mean, people that die without Jesus are going to be there. Hell is real. And so the rescue mission matters because what's at stake is huge. It's big. It's grand. 
If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, that means you have decided to surrender to, trust in the grace of Jesus Christ to fall on the cross and to follow him with your life, not perfectly, but striving to follow him, then you have been saved from the pits of hell. You've been saved from the pits of hell. If you're not a Christian here this morning, then I want to encourage you, man, stop, don't wait. Because hell is real. It, it, it's not figurative. It's not some grand idea. It's not something we throw out there to keep you in line. Hell is real. Jesus talks about it. The Bible teaches it. And it's worse than you think. Hell is not a place where you and your buddies that don't believe in Jesus go to have a perpetual good time. Hell is not a place where you cease to exist. Hell is not a place where you just are in this unconscious state of sleep. Hell is real. And it's torment. It's suffering. It's awful. Now, here's the deal. I don't know what it's like. For sure. Bible talks about hell and, and, and talks about it with this vivid, awful, scary imagery. There is a fire that never goes out. And it's eternal darkness. You're thinking if there's a fire that never goes out, how could it be eternally dark? I, I don't know. Is it imagery? Is it, is it wordcraft to tell us how bad it's going to be? I don't know. I don't know. Is there a literal fire? Will there be literally literal burning? For, I don't know. I, I, I haven't been there, and here's the thing. I don't plan on going. Right? Because Jesus and I, we are good. And I hope that you can say the same thing, but here's what I want you to know about hell. I can't tell you what I don't know for sure, but here's what I can tell you for sure. It's awful. And it wasn't made for you. The Bible tells us that hell was actually created. Hell was actually created to be the place where God will send Satan and demons. When Satan rebels against God and demons follow him, God creates hell as a place to put them in eternal separation from him in punishment. Listen to me, church. We're on a rescue mission, and the mission matters because people we know and love, people we know and love and care about, if they don't decide to follow Jesus, are going to end up in a place that was designed for Satan and his demons. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know it ain't good. And so we have to take our mission seriously. This matters, right? Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, and we have to take the mission seriously as well. And we don't always do a great job of that. Look, like we know this really well. John 3, 16 and 17. For this, how many of you know John 3, 16? How many of you had it memorized when you were like five? How many of you, this was like your first verse that you ever memorized? How many of you did that at a place called Awana? That's where I memorized it. I, mem I was telling the first service, I memorized this verse at Awana, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him should not die but eternal, everlasting life. And they gave me a vest. And then when I memorized more scriptures, 
and I passed more books. They gave me like crowns and jewels and things to wear on my vest. And my parents, I think, still have my vest at their house. And I also told First Service that I don't think it fits anymore. Or I would wear it. Proudly. But here's the thing. We know this. For This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Some of you really astute Bible students went so far as to memorize verse 17 as well. Right? God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. That's good news. Most of us didn't bother to learn 18. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And that judgment, not because Matt says so, but because God says so, that judgment is hell. And so this is the mission. This is the rescue mission. And it's ours. And frankly, we ought to rock it. We ought to be really good at it. And the reason we ought to be really good at it, Christian, if that's you, if you're a Christian here, is because you were literally saved from the pits of hell. You were drugged from the pits of hell. And now you have the opportunity to go do the same for someone else. It's like a war movie, right? Like you've been rescued, right? What do you do? You go back and save Bubba. You know what I'm talking about. Where's Tim Kurth? Tim Kurth knows, he'll tell you all about it. I gotta save Bubba. Tim does the best Forrest Gump. And Shauna loves it. Shauna does not love it. That's why it's fun to encourage it. <laughs> anyway, but you know, like, but, but he, he, he saved, but, but he has to go back and keep saving. Harriet Tubman, you know who Harriet Tubman is, right? Uh, conductor of the Underground Railroad, saved from slavery, price on her head, saved from, from the misery and despair of a life of, of slavery and servitude and bondage. Saved, And what does she do? She doesn't stay where it's comfortable. But she continually puts herself back in harm's way. Right? Not because it's what she wants to do. Not because it's the thrill of the moment. Not because of any of those things. But because she knows the depths with which she was saved from. And can't possibly, possibly stand to know that other people are still suffering. Made... You'll have to excuse my, my historical knowledge because I might be wrong, but I think it was 18 different trips back to rescue slaves, including her own 70-year-old parents. Why? Because she couldn't possibly stand to let them suffer what she had been saved from. Guys, if you are a follower of Christ, you've been saved from the pits of hell. And so it's on us. It's on us to engage full-fledged in the rescue mission and to save others. It's the biblical mandate. That's why this church exists, to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus. It's why Jesus came, to seek and save that which was lost. And that's what, that's what we deal with here. And I think that, that ultimately for us to really excel at this, 
we need to have an attitude adjustment. I'm not just talking about Blessed Hope Community Church, but I think the church itself needs to have an attitude adjustment if we are going to excel at bringing a hurting world the hope of Jesus, at seeking and saving that which is lost, is rescuing people from the pits of hell that we were rescued from. We need an attitude adjustment. There are three very clear attitude adjustments that we need to discuss, and we're going to find them straight out of Scripture, and they're going to help us engage in this rescue mission. Attitude adjustment number one is this. We will sacrifice our our preferences for the sake of the rescue mission. Now, some of you are thinking, Matt, you can't start with that one. That's like so huge. It's absurd. You can't start there, right? But I'm starting there for a very clear reason, and you're going to hate it. That's the easiest one, right? Some of you are like, no, 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 sacrificing preferences. That's too big. Leave that one for the end. Let's build up to it. No, no, no. I'm using this one to help build up to the hard ones. Right? But if you are going to be effective in the rescue mission, then you are necessarily, we are necessarily going to have to sacrifice our preferences for the sake of those people that are lost. Listen to me very carefully. We don't have a choice. Because if my preferences to have my way to do things the way I want keep somebody in hell, then I've got answering to do to the God of the universe. And you're like, well, Matt, how could my preferences keep people in hell? There might, what, you know what, because you, when, when you focus on your preferences over and above the mission, then we lose. When my preferences become more important than that lost person, man, I'm in a bad spot and I got answering to do. Right? And this isn't me just telling you this. This comes straight from Scripture. This is Paul um, in 1 Corinthians 9.19. We're going to actually read five verses in this text, but, but we're going to start here. And you know this well. We've actually preached on this not that long ago, but it's so compelling. We need, to, we need to drill down on it here. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. This is Paul, right? This is Paul saying, even though I'm a free man with no master, and that's not just him saying like, hey, I'm free, I... You know, no, this is him saying, I wasn't free, and now I am free. Like, this is the context that he starts with. He says, I used to be a slave to sin. You know, we were talking about Harriet Tubman, right? She was a slave, and then she escaped, right? She, she was brought to freedom, and then she went back and, and brought more people with her. This is Paul's experience. You see, he was a slave, not, not to masters, human masters, but to sin, and it ruined everything. His whole life was worthless, and he knows it now. All of his intentions, all of his actions, all of his thoughts were all mired by sin. He was stuck in a pit. Even, get this, even the good things he thought he was doing were drugged down by his sin nature. Paul says, man, I, I, I'm a free man with no master, but here's what I do. I become a slave to everybody. Well, let, me, let me put that in language that we're talking about. Paul says, look, look, I was ready to burn in hell. I was ready to burn in hell. It was going to be bad. And here's how I know it was going to be bad. It was going to be bad because hell is bad, but it was going to be worse than that because I killed Christians. Paul went out of his way to kill Christians. Why? Because he thought they were wrong. 
So even the good things he was doing, defending God's honor and killing people he thought were lying about God, were stuck to this drag of sin. He says, there was no good in me. I was a slave to sin. But on the road to Damascus, Jesus Christ met me and saved me by the power of his Holy Spirit. He saved me. And now, now, what am I to do? I'm not a slave to sin anymore, but I make myself a slave to all people. Why? Because I want to save them from the pits of hell just like I was. What else is he supposed to do? This is what he knows. What else am I supposed to do? He says, man, so I'm third, right? First is God. He's like, well, for, I'm, I'm last place. He's always last place. It's, his preferences don't matter. It's always last place for Paul. Even though I'm a free man I have, and have no master, I become a slave to all people. So first place is God. It's always God. Second place is everybody else that needs the gospel. And then Paul says, man, I'm bringing up the rear. It is not about me. It is not about what I want. It's not about what I wish for. It's about the gospel. It's about getting the gospel to people that need to know the gospel. It's about rescuing people from the same hell that I was rescued from. That's what he says. I can, can you imagine Paul with this attitude walking into a church and going, oof. You know what? I think the lighting needs to be different. Or, or walking in, oof. I really hate this carpet. It needs to be changed. We can't possibly worship with this carpet. Or, oh, man, I can't believe that pastor is not wearing a suit. Or, oh, I can't believe that pastor's not wearing shorts. Yeah, you because know, it goes both ways, right? Bo- both of you exist. You just don't know each other. <laughs> there are some of you that are like, oh, it's too bright in here. And there's others that are like, oh, it's too dark. You, you both exist. You just don't sit on the same side of the room, right? And, and some of you are like, oh, he is way too formal. Yeah, those people, right? And then there's most of you that are like, no, 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 no. He's, way, he's not formal enough. And oh, you know what? We need to sing newer music. And then others that are like, oh, have we forgotten all the good old traditional music? And, and what happens is we let our preferences start to arm wrestle and start to have this thing that we do. Can you imagine Paul walking into a church and say, whoa, time out. That's not my favorite song. Where's the bass today? What, we're skipping drums? Oh, man, I can't believe that guy's not wearing a tie. I can't believe that guy is wearing a tie. Like, I don't don't know. Can you imagine Paul letting his preferences play that part of a thing? Absolutely not. Paul talks about worship in a couple of different places in Corinthians. When Paul talks about worship, here's what he's worried about. He's worried that at your worship gatherings, you accomplish two things. One, that you glorify the God of the universe. And two, that you make it simple for outsiders to understand. That's what Paul's worried about. That's the only thing Paul's worried about. His preferences don't matter. Paul's an Orthodox Jew. Trust me, he wants to have Orthodox Jew things. That's his nature. But he says, no, 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 my preferences don't matter because I'm third. God's first. Everybody that's lost is second. I'm third. We've got to let go of our preferences. I know you're like, man, you should have ended there. No, this is the first one. This is the easiest one, right? But, but... Attitude adjustment one is our preferences don't matter. By the way, can I just say thank you to some of you? Since I've been here, I've been here five and a half years, almost six years at this church. And there are many of you here. There are many of you that have been here like six minutes, 
right? Six months, whatever. But, but there are many of you here still that were here at the beginning and, and, and things have changed and, and altered slightly. And then there are many of you who have started coming later, but the reason that you started coming later is because the church is preaching the gospel and is on mission to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus. Not because they do worship the way that you want it. I want you to know that I recognize that. And I am honored by that, and I am inspired by that. If, if you're one of those people that finds yourself worshiping here at this place, even though it's not the way you necessarily would script it if you were in charge, but you're here because you know that we're actively about reaching a hurting world with the hope of Jesus, look, thank you. I appreciate that. Because there's no way that, there, there's no way that we can... Well, I appreciate that, right? That, that matters. Um, and, it, and it helps us keep doing what we need to do. We keep going. Um, and, and attitude adjustment, too, is this. Irrelevance is irreverence. That's not ours. That belongs to the National Church in, in Washington, D.C. It's uh, Mark Batterson's church. It's one of their core values, but it lines up so nicely with what we're talking about here. Irrelevance is irreverence. If a church can't be relevant, then we're going to go so far as to say that we're being irreverent. Irreverent meaning we're dishonoring God. If we can't be relevant, we have the message of salvation, the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ, that Jesus stepped into human history to seek and save that which is lost, to rescue us from the pits and the fires of hell. And if we can't be relevant in sharing that message, then we are being irreverent. But you know what we've done? We've gone and jacked up that message. Most of us, when we tell people about church, we like to tell people that we want them to come to church because Jesus will make their life better. I'm not mad at you if you've said that before. I've said that before. I'm guilty of saying that before. But what we tell people is, hey, 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 Jesus will make your life better. You should come to church because Jesus will make your life better. Listen, that's not the message. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not that Jesus will make your life better. The gospel is not that Jesus will make it easier for you to live tomorrow than he did today. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus saved you from hell. Jesus wants to grab you by the scruff of your neck and pull you from the pits of hell. He wants to throw you a line. He loves you so much that in order to make that line, he went ahead and sacrificed himself on the cross so that you could be made right. And we're telling people, hey, come to church. You need to know Jesus because he'll make your life better. Man, read the New Testament. It's an in, at, at best, it's incomplete. At worst, it's misleading. Jesus will make your life better. He will give it purpose and he will give it meaning. And that purpose and that meaning will show up as they are persecuting you. Right? That purpose and that meaning will show up as you're sacrificing everything for the sake of getting the gospel to the people that need to know the gospel. It will make your life better. It will give you meaning. But not in the way that you're telling your neighbors. And we tell them, we're like, we're like, hey, come on in. Come on in, guys. You need to know Jesus because Jesus will make your life easier. Jesus doesn't make your life easier. Jesus says, hey, I got an idea. You want to follow me? Pick up your cross, die to yourself every single day, and follow me. Don't look back. 
And the dead bury their own dead. You keep coming. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I got nowhere to lay my head. You want to follow me? That's what you're signing up for. You know, following Jesus makes your life easier. Following Jesus also may put you in a position where you have to willingly lay down your life to choose to follow. Right? I mean, it makes your life better, but not in the way that we sell it. We have made the message of the gospel so irrelevant. We have made it about feeling a little bit better about yourself. We have turned the Bible into the selfiest self-help book that ever existed. Here are six easy steps to feel better, to make your life better. No, man, here is the message and the way, the word of God that tells you you die to yourself so that you can live. And when you choose to live in Christ, that your life is forfeit. And only when you understand that will you understand that that makes your life better. We've got to be relevant with the message. And, and as soon as we say relevant, you know, I don't want you to get confused. You, I hope you know me well enough. If you're visiting today, this is your first time here, you, you might be confused by this, so listen carefully. But, but if you know me, I hope you know better. When I say relevant, I don't mean we water down anything. We're not watering down anything. We're not changing the message. We're not changing the word of God. We're not making it say something it doesn't say. We're not giving permission to things it doesn't give permission to. No, no, no. It is sacred and we don't mess with it. When I say water, or when, when I say um, make it relevant, I don't mean water it down, but what I mean is make it fit. We always talk about it like this, like it, the gospel, the Bible, the word of God is a precious liquid. The liquid is unchanging. It never changes, it never falters, it never moves. The liquid is unchanging. But the container that holds it must change. It has to change. How will people recognize that it's something they need to drink from if the, if the container doesn't change? Right? And, and that doesn't come when we weaken what it says, but it comes when we understand what really matters. And what really matters is the gospel. Right? We're going to see that. We're going to look at Paul. We'll keep going in, in 1 Corinthians 9. And you just have a couple of verses on your screen, but I'm going to read the whole chunk for you, starting in, in verse 20. When I was with the Jews, you know this. We've done this so many times. Like, if you're, if you're like, Matt, you don't even have to read it. We know it by heart. Oh, just humor me. When I was with the Jews... I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to that law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ, and here's the deal. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness. Why? Because I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. This is Paul saying, I've got to be relevant. When I'm with the Jews, I live like the Jews. Why? Because I don't want my freedom to not be a Jew to get in their way of knowing Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles, I live like a Gentile. It means I eat bacon. And Gentile rocks. They've got pork. Right? 
But he's like, he's like, when I'm with a Jew, I would never eat bacon because my eating bacon would cause them to not even listen to what I'm saying. And what I'm saying is that the God in heaven loves you and saves you if you would just follow Jesus, right? But I don't worry about that when I'm with the Gentiles because worrying about that would make me weird to them. And I just want them to think I'm weird because of Jesus, not because of some other thing. And I'm with the weak. I don't let my weakness get in the way. Said it backwards. When I'm with the weak, I don't let my strength get in the way. Right? They think, oh, no, no, it's terrible. You know, a Christian, a, a Christian can't watch TV. Well, then guess what? I'm not going to invite him over to watch TV. A Christian can't have a drink. Well, then guess what? I'm not going to invite him over to have a drink. Right? Because I'm not going to let my, my strength get in the way of that. And, and, if, and if they say, no, 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 we, if, I, if I don't like alcohol and, and, and I think we shouldn't drink it, but they and their freedom and their weakness are saying, hey, we should sit down and have a drink. I'm not going to say, no, no, that's the terrible worst thing you could ever do. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to take a Diet Coke, but we're just going to sit and talk. I don't care what you do. And, I, and I'm not going to let my resolve get in the way of their hearing the message that I have. See, this is the problem. We're, we're so worried about preferences and things that we, we're missing the point. But Paul says, no, you've got to be relevant over and above that. And he shows us in a couple of ways how to be relevant in ways that will blow your mind. And so let's keep going here. Um, in Acts 15, in Acts 15, there is this big debate um, there are a couple of people, they're all Christians, kind of, but, but they're people called Judaizers. And Judaizers, they come to where Paul and Barnabas are teaching, and they start to teach this weird thing. And it's salvation by grace through Christ, plus you got to do a little extra. And what they were teaching was, if you wanted to become a Christian, you had to first become a Jew. Right? Because... You could only become a Christian if you were a Jew. So what they would tell Gentiles was, hey, you want Jesus, that's great. First, become a Jew, then become a Christian. And you probably know this, but the outward symbol that you were becoming a Jew was circumcision. If you're not sure what circumcision is, you can ask your neighbor later. But that's what it was. The outward symbol of Becoming a Jew was that you would be circumcised, then you could become a Christian. So they started teaching this. Paul and Barnabas throw a bloody fit, call them mutilators of the flesh, because that's all you're doing is mutilating the flesh. You're not teaching them anything good, because salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus, not of anything that we do, including becoming Jew. And there was this big problem, and they all went to Jerusalem to meet with the first Christian council, uh, the disciples, the apostles, James was the head of it, and, and they're having the first Christian council where they're looking for answers. You know, this side is giving their argument, no, 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 you got to be Jew first. And, and Paul and Barnabas and, and their side are saying, well, time out, wait a minute. If you got to do something to earn the grace of God, then it's not free grace. So, so no, 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 you can't say that that's true. And they have this thing, and it's a no-brainer for the council. They come out with a statement that says, no, look, use your brain, right? You got to be godly, right? Don't drink blood, sacrifice to animals, and don't be sexually immoral. You've got to choose godliness, but you don't have to follow Jewish custom. You don't have to be circumcised. You just have to be saved by grace through faith and then choose holiness, and they gave Barnabas and Paul the letter and said, here's the job. You take this back and you teach it. Not just at the church where this originated, but because the Judaizers had gone everywhere to try to mess with everything, you take it and you spread it through all the churches so they know you do not have to be circumcised to be a Christian. And then this happens. The next chapter. Paul went first. Oh, back to the other one. 
Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey, right? He's there sharing. Timothy, he's seeing, man, there's a lot in that guy. I want him to come with. I think he's going to be awesome in the church. I want to train him up. I want him to come with, right? Except, oh, and come with where? Come with where as we travel around to churches to tell them you don't need to be circumcised to be a Christian. And then check this out. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised. Uh, You should be tracking how weird that is, right? You don't have to be circumcised to become a Christian. Timothy, come with me so we can tell everybody you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. There's just one thing I need you to do first. Go get circumcised. Why? Because everybody knew that his father was Greek, and so he did. And they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decision made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem, which was don't get circumcised to become a Christian. So you're like, either Paul's having a weird day, he's playing a practical joke on Timothy, which by the way, awesome practical joke. Or, or Paul knows something about relevance. And Paul knows that the message is too important to let it get caught up behind some stupid preference. Timothy, I can imagine the conversation. You don't have to be circumcised. You are a Christian because you have faith in Jesus Christ. You are a Christian by grace through faith in Jesus, not in any good work you could ever do. You do not have to be circumcised. But if you want to go with me to preach that message of reconciliation, to preach that gospel to people that are Jews, you're going to have to be circumcised. If you want to come with, you have to be circumcised because if you're not, you'll never even get enough respect from them for them to listen to you tell them the truth. So get circumcised or stay out of the way. And of course, we know that Timothy was all in. Well, he was mostly in after the circumcision. That was a terrible joke. I did not say that first service, and I'm glad because that's the one they recorded. So that will die with us. You're sworn to secrecy. Anyway, I've completely lost it. Anyway. This is relevance, guys. Paul teaching relevance. Let's skip ahead to third. The third one. Attitude adjustment number three. This is the hardest one. We will do whatever it takes, short of sin, to bring people to Jesus. You never get to sin and say, oh, I was sinning for Jesus. No, no, no. But anything short of sin, you got to be willing to put it out there. Why? Because hell is real. We were rescued from it, and we want to rescue other people from it. So there should be nothing besides sinning against God that is off limits when it comes to rescuing people from hell. We'll see how this plays out. Luke 5, 17. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. And so you get the the, the idea. Jesus is coming to teach. All of these Pharisees and leaders of religious law are coming to listen. They're not coming to listen because they want to be healed. 
They're not coming to listen because they want to repent. They're not coming to listen because they want to be taught by Jesus. They're coming to listen because they want to catch Jesus saying something he shouldn't. Their goal is to accuse him. Not long after this, they are going to accuse him to the point of trying to have him executed and succeeding. Right? So they are there um, to judge and to find fault with Jesus. But Jesus is teaching and, and everybody else is clamoring around because they want to see him. They want to hear the grace in his, his voice. They want to be challenged by the truth in his words. They, they, want to, they want to be touched by the miraculous healing that he does. And so that's what's going on here. And then we keep going. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. These are good buddies, right? Because at this point in time, right, there's, there's, no, there's no wheelchair, right? There, there's no hover around. That's a thing, right? Right? There's none of that. There's, there's no Benton County thing that'll come and pick you up at your house. If you want to go somewhere, they lay you on a mat and they carry you. That's just the way that it goes. And this guy's got good buddies. They're willing to carry him around. Right? And so they carry him. Um, but they couldn't reach Jesus because of the crowd. I mean, they, here's the thing. They know if we get our buddy to Jesus, Jesus has the power to heal him so he can walk. Partly, they're probably thinking, I will never have to carry this guy around again. But whatever, they're like, let's do it. So they get their buddy, they get him on a mat, they, they you know, they carry him. I mean, you know, he's probably uh, being like, no, oh, guys, don't worry about it, it's whatever. But no, they're carrying him and they get him there. And here's the thing, they can't get in. And so you would think, well, they'd be like, well, we tried, right? Give each other high fives, pats on the back for giving it a good college effort. But no, no, they're like, we can't give up. The rescue mission is too important. We can't give up. So they climb to the roof. They're going to do whatever it takes short of sin to get him to the feet of Jesus. And so they climb up on the roof and, and, and they break through the roof. And some of you are thinking, if they break through my roof, that's a sin. It's different. It's not your roof, right? There's no asphalt shingles. They're moving like thatched things out of the way. And, and they, they put him on this pulley system and they lower him down. And, and he comes down and he lands. What does it tell us, right? They went up to the roof, they took off some tiles, and they lowered the sick man on the mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. They do whatever it takes, short of sin, to get their buddy to the feet of Jesus. That's the rescue mission. That's what it takes for us, right? Hell is real. If we are Christians here today, that means that we are trusting Jesus for forgiveness of our sins and we are turning our life over to him and trying to live in a way that honors him. Won't be perfect, but we're trying to live in a way that honors him. We're cutting sin out of our lives and we're moving towards Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have been saved from the pits of hell and you have a very clear mandate like Jesus to bring other people out, to seek and save that which is lost. And here's how you gotta do it. You gotta have an attitude adjustment. You gotta have an attitude adjustment. You gotta let go of your preferences for the sake of the rescue mission. What you want no longer becomes the most important thing. Again, we have saints in this congregation who understand that clearly, and we need to learn from them. We let go of what we want for the sake of the mission because the mission matters more than what I want, right? 
We have to fight for relevance. It means we can't do things the way we've always done them. And I can't assume that they'll come to me. I got to go where they are. We talked about this. The, um, this is one of the first ways that we knew, like going back five years ago, that we could partner with Revolution Church. We didn't know what that partnership would look like. We had no idea we'd be talking about being nine months into a merger at this point in time, but we knew that we could partner with them when they decided for the sake of the gospel to do everything short of sin to bring people to the feet of Jesus when they had this weird rock concert right? They had a really weird rock concert over at the middle school. They paid a lot of money, money they probably didn't have at the time, if I'm remembering correctly, money they probably didn't have to bring in some Christian rock. You'll notice we don't play a whole lot of Christian rock on our Sunday mornings. Most of you haven't found a Christian rock radio station, right? Probably because they don't exist around here. Right? But it appealed to some people. Some people loved that kind of music. And the music was weird. Right? Christian rap. Yeah, it's a thing, I guess. Right? But it's weird. It's not music we would listen to. It's not music they probably listen to. But they brought it here. Why? Because it would speak to some people. Because they would do whatever it takes, even if it meant emptying their bank account and having something so that some people that were marginalized by the church could come and be at the feet of Jesus. And so they did. And you know what? It worked. I don't know if it was a well-attended concert. I don't think so. But there were people there. And as the lead singer of a group that I think played music gave his testimony, people came to know Jesus. People responded to Jesus. People surrendered their life to Jesus, right? Because that church did whatever it took short of sin to bring people to the foot of Jesus. And that's how we knew, hey, we can partner with them. Because that's why we want to be here too, right? But we need an attitude adjustment, right? We got to let go of our preferences for the sake of the gospel, Right? We have to fight for relevancy, even if it doesn't make sense. It's not sacrificing anything as much as it's making much of the gospel and less of us. And then three, we do whatever it takes, short of sin, to bring people to the foot of the cross. And it works. This is what Jesus says to the men. He, he looks at the faith of the men that lowered him through the roof, and he responds not to the man laying on the ground, but to the men that did whatever it took to bring him to the feet of Jesus, responding to their faith, he says, man, your sins are forgiven. We read a few verses, get up and walk. This matters. And, and frankly, Jesus models this better than any of them. Last thing. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This is Jesus Christ. Eternal. God, omnipotent, powerful God, omniscient, all-knowing God, omnipresent, everywhere present God. This is him. And then you get down to verse 14. Then at just the right time, the word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. Putting aside his preferences, the omnipresent God, present everywhere, always, for all of eternity, said, you know what? I think it would be awesome. No, but he did it to confine himself to his mother's womb for nine months. And then once born, to, to have to be confined to the body of, of a baby and a child and to grow and to not experience this that he's had for all of eternity. 
letting go of his preferences and his rights to step into human history. His knowing everything, to be limited in knowledge as a human being. And and, and the only thing else that he has is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Right? To give up, to give up the omnipotence, the power to be subject to kings and rulers in this place. And the eternality of it all. To suffer death, pain for you and I. This is, this is God giving, giving up his preferences, becoming relevant. Like we couldn't know God, we couldn't understand God, but he steps into human history so we could see him and we could touch him and we could know what God is like through the person of Jesus and doing everything it takes, every ridiculous thing that it takes, like God becoming flesh to get us to the foot of the cross. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. And we, church, have the same mission to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus. And it matters because hell is real. That's the praise team to come up. And they're going to close us out. And I just want to encourage you in this as we pray. Listen, it matters. So if, if it matters to you, and it should, as a Christian, take the mission seriously do something about it. If you're here today and you're not sure you're a Christian, that's just not a decision that you've made, right? Or, or you've been living your parents' faith and you're not sure if it's your own or, or you just aren't sure what this is all about. You always thought just believing in God and trying to be good was enough. And now we're saying maybe it's not that. Like, look, let's come talk, right? Because the rescue mission is for you too, right? God wants to seek and save that which is lost. And so um, just don't make light of it. Don't skip it. There's too much at stake. Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we praise you and we just thank you for all things. Thank you for being a God that chose us, for being a God that rescues us. While we were still sinners and enemies of God, you came to us. And now, God, thank you for giving us a message of reconciliation. Thank you for helping us understand the stakes. And Lord, empower us to be actively involved in rescuing other people from the same hell that we've been rescued from. We love you. We praise you. Amen.